All right, so we are in Matthew chapter 6 still. We're looking at verses 19 through 24. If you turn with me there. Now hear the words of the one true and living God. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness? No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. These are the words of our living God, more desired than gold, uh, more than even fine gold, sweeter than honey, the drippings of the honeycomb. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you this morning for your word, the treasure that it is to us, and the opportunity to learn from it by your spirit. I pray you would be with me this morning as I preach, be near to all of us, your people. We pray, Lord, that you would train us, equip us, comfort us, and quicken us, strengthen us, challenge us, and Father, encourage us. I pray in Jesus' name, amen. So what Jesus is touching on here is still all connected to this idea he's laid out uh, before his disciples earlier, that, that God is our heavenly father. You know, he's addressing his disciples who have the benefit of calling God their heavenly father. And what he's doing is he's, he's pointing out rivals and threats to that relationship here. That's what he's been doing, right? We saw um, that some of those rivals could look like outward displays of piety for the approval of man, right? Uh, praying in order to be seen praying, praying in order to be heard praying for the approval of man. Uh, fasting to, to prove something, to prove something to someone else, to prove how holy or super spiritual you are. And then he's now addressing the, the love of the world and all the things in it. And then he'll talk, uh, coming up in the following passage, about being crippled by anxiety over some of these cares of the world. And all of these things, all of these rivals to that relationship with God, they all have something in common. Can you see, see what it is? Can you see what links all of these together? They all have to do with a lack of trust in the one we're supposed to trust. They all have to do with placing our trust in things that are untrustworthy, uh, with trusting in things that shift and change, and our tendency to rely on unreliable things when we're supposed to trust in God alone who never changes and who is always reliable. That's who our Heavenly Father is. That's what He's like. And we can be assured of that. He's given us understanding so that we can have that assurance, but what sin does is it clouds our thinking and it steals our affections. Our hearts grow fond of things that will only disappoint us and our minds get dim and our eyes are, are, get out of focus. Sometimes when people recognize that in themselves, when, they don't, when it dawns on them, they tend to want to escape the world rather than overcome it. 
That's a common response. They, they, they try to escape into their religiosity. They put all their eggs in the piety basket. And, and they try to entirely abstain from the world and its enjoyments. Like, like a monk, you know. But what we're supposed to do is overcome the world while living in it. Not, not, not to be overcome by the world. And not to escape it either. But to overcome it. And what that looks like is not being governed by the things that we have. It looks like not being governed by the things that we are supposed to govern. Jesus addresses possessions here in these verses. And notice he doesn't say money, he says treasures, right? He's not overly concerned with possessions, us having possessions. He's not overly concerned with uh, how many of them we have. He's concerned with our attitudes toward our possessions, isn't he? And I can't think of a, a more perfect illustration uh, of this than uh, the character Smeagol in The Lord of the Rings. If, if you've been living under a rock somewhere, um, Smeagol was a, a hobbit, a, a creature um, in Tolkien's fiction, whose, whose lust consumed him. He, he found something so attractive and so alluring that he would kill for it. And he did. It was just a ring. You know, I mean, those of you that have read the books and seen the movie, you know it was no ordinary ring, but nonetheless, it was still an object, okay? And Smeagol loved it so much, this character loved it so much that his pursuit of it made him beastly. It ruined him. He lost himself. And he becomes the monster Gollum. And all he could ever think about was this precious ring, right? My precious. This precious ring. And it was the very thing that ruined him in the first place. So with that, let me just ask you a question, all right? Is, is wealth a man's downfall? Is wealth a man's downfall or is it the man he becomes in pursuit of the wealth? It, isn't it really his attitude about himself because of his wealth that's an issue. It's a shame that when someone can afford almost anything, he thinks he can afford to be a fool. And Proverbs 18, 11 says, a rich man's wealth is his strong city, like a high wall in his imagination. That's trusting in the wrong thing. That's the wrong attitude toward your possessions. That's wanting something from them that they can't offer you. That's what Jesus is addressing here. The only one that's owed that trust, that allegiance, that admiration is God himself, who you call your heavenly father. And you know, you, we, we, but we think we can have it both ways, don't we? We're, we're, we're a one foot in, one foot out kind of people. We, you know, we think we can multitask. We, we think we can have both the best of both worlds. But Jesus says, that's impossible. It's as impossible as mixing light and darkness. You cannot serve two masters. And again, it's not just money. You know, how about status and reputation? Do you treasure that? If that was taken from you, would you feel like you had nothing in this world? Is that... That you're, you're precious? What about your work? 
Is your identity wrapped up in what you do for a living to the point where if you didn't do that anymore, you wouldn't know who you are? Whether it's crisp dollar bills or a fancy house or stylish clothes or position in your career or a name that is great, what value have you placed on it? That's the question. So you don't try to run from those things because those things are evil. That's, that's a silly notion. It's not like you're more righteous the less you have. It's the value you've placed on the thing that you do have that matters. What things do we have that are competing with God for our hearts and our minds and our attention? Are they treasures? Right? Are they precious? What's supposed to be most precious in the life of the Christian is this relationship Jesus keeps talking about, this relationship with your heavenly Father. That's the lesson here. Jesus is teaching that the sad truth is if what is most precious to you is what exists here under the sun, you'll be disappointed when it's gone. And God does not want you to be disappointed. You're not supposed to leave here feeling let down. You're you're supposed to feel like loss is gain, right? And you can't do that when you valuable, perishable things too highly. Loss is going to be devastating if you do that. And loss is one thing that's just guaranteed in this life, isn't it? I mean, even loss of life itself. (laughs) Funny thing about life, no one's ever made it out alive. Well, that's not true. There were two exceptions, but that's that's another sermon. It's going to be harder for you to keep your eyes fixed on Jesus. It's going to be harder for you to prize your salvation and rightly estimate the value of your eternal worth in Christ if your worth is wrapped up in stuff. We can't place our trust in things or value them too highly. And you know, we don't have to pretend though, we we don't have to pretend that uh, stuff is not important. You know, uh, we don't have to pretend comforts and physical blessings, uh, having a nice home, you know, knowing that you do have a little cushion, a little, a, a little money savings in the bank, you know, a, a reliable car that works that you're not wondering every other day when you turn the key if it's going to turn on. Those things matter. They're important. But how important are they to you is the question. Are they, are they what you live for? Who would you be if you didn't have them? Are the things that are made of matter all that matter to you? Uh, Calvin once said, our, our hearts are like idol factories. They're never idle and making idols. Our hearts are always just turning out things for us to, to commit ourselves to. They can, be, they can be hobbies or entertainments or even other people, you know, relationships. If the things that are temporal are all that matter to you, you'll be disappointed because those things don't last and you can't take them with you. What does last is your eternal security in Christ. You'll take that with you wherever you go. You will take that security, that assurance that we're afforded by God being our heavenly Father. You'll take that with you wherever you go, even into poverty, should you end up there. You'll take it with you even to the grave and beyond. 
that assurance follows you. So is your investment in that relationship consistent with your profession that you believe in? Are you storing up treasures in heaven? It's a little late to bring in the main idea, but I think it's good we kind of walk through some of that first. So here it is, sort of the main idea of the sermon this morning. It's kind of wordy, but it gets at what we're talking about here. If we have a right view of ourselves as children of God, moving in the direction of eternity with him, the worldly matters still matter to us, just not as much. That's who Jesus wants us to know, that we are, wants us to know that, that we are children of God, and that that's where we're headed, toward eternity with him, eternal life with him. And if that's who we are and that's where we're going, then we need to be able to hold on to things loosely here. Jesus isn't slapping hands away from earthly blessings in this verse, okay? The, the lesson here is not to divorce your desire from anything that exists under the sun, and then you'll be happier and holier, amen. We're not Buddhists. That's, that's, that's not the aim in life, to divorce ourselves from desire. The Christian life is much harder than that. We're called to order our desires. That's harder, isn't it? We're called to order our desires. As children of God moving his direction, we're called to see ourselves as such. And so we are to be able to have things and not be stuck on things. We have to be able to view what we have and what is valuable to us here in light of what we already have in Christ and accurately appraise the value of eternal life with him. When you do that, you begin to look at all you have in this life rightly. You begin to uh, view yourself not as an owner or a possessor or a collector of things, but as a custodian and a steward who can look faithfully upon the things that he's been given and say, how can I use this to honor God? How can I be that servant who multiplies what has been entrusted to me so that I can hand it all back to my master looking for nothing in return but his good pleasure. That's how you store up treasures in heaven. That's having a right view of stuff. And it's not a low view of stuff, is it? It's not a low view of stuff. You know, it's weird. It's like valuing, it's like by valuing God more than anything else, all of the other stuff becomes more valuable, just not to us. We cheapen things that God has made by valuing them too much. We actually cheapen things by valuing them too much. We enrich them by valuing God more. When we're serving God and governing things, we're storing up treasures in heaven. When we're serving things and trying to govern ourselves, we're storing treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and thieves break in and steal. And it is a miserable existence. It's what Jesus is warning his disciples against here in these verses. You know, you ask the question, how can I know? How can I know if I'm treasuring something, if something has become my precious? You can usually tell by your tendency to, to protect it, to guard it, 
or how anxious you are to have it. That's how you can usually tell. That's how you can tell if, if, if you're governing the gift or if the gift is governing you. So when we read about worldliness in the Bible, though, okay, I want, I want you to catch this. When we read about worldliness in the Bible, we're, ta- we're not talking about not enjoying life, okay? When we talk about holiness in the Bible, we're not talking about turning our noses up at anything enjoyable. Worldliness is an attitude toward life. Worldliness is an attitude toward life. Some well-meaning Christians, uh, for example, they might tell you that it's, a, uh, it's worldly, and an utter waste of time to read fiction and, and watch movies. But that's only true if you're trying to live in those stories instead of the one you're living in. You see? It's not worldly to enjoy things in the world. It's worldly to go through life as though this life is the only one that matters. So here's the warning. It's what Jesus wants us to, to understand and we see it all over scripture, but especially here. The world, do, do not underestimate the power of the world to capture your hearts and minds. It has the ability to do that. Don't underestimate the world's ability to grab our hearts and minds. Our thinking can be clouded by what our hearts cling to. Jesus says, beginning in verse 22, the eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad... Your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness? I've, I've heard some weird interpretations of these verses. Um, but it's not, it's not difficult to understand if we continue to understand the context that we're in, where Jesus has been, where he's going. Okay? Jesus is still talking about treasures in heaven. He didn't like, you know... Space out for a minute and sideline this. See, we're still where we are with this treasures in heaven, treasures on earth thing. He's still talking to his disciples and warning them, look, if you view life as everything in relation to God, if, you, if, if, if that's your worldview, okay, if, if, if you think of life as everything in relation to God, you'll see clearly. You'll be under, able to understand uh, the gifts that you've been given for what they are. You, you won't look to them for things that they cannot supply you or offer you. You'll be able to value them rightly. You'll be able to appraise them rightly because you've rightly appraised your eternal security in Christ. If you don't, if you don't view all, all of life as all things in relation to God and this relationship that you have with your Heavenly Father, then your vision's going to be blurry and skewed and hazy and tinted and tainted by sin. Your heart is where your treasure is, and that affects your whole outlook on life. So where is your treasure? That's why he sums up there in verse 24, no one can serve two masters. For he will either hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. And the word he uses there in the Greek is mammon. It's a little bit more broad than money, and I think it's appropriate to think of it that way. It's, it, you know, the... the the idea of, of our possessions generally, not just dollar dollar bills, but the things that we own, the things that we love and admire. We can't serve two masters, and if we're not careful, the things of this world will master us, and we will serve them. We'll cry when you take them away. 
They will devastate us to the core and take us to places we didn't know existed in our own emotions. That's the warning. We will be governed by them rather than governing them as God intends. But if our priorities are rightly ordered, we serve God and Him only, we're free from being enslaved to material things. We're free from the the hamster wheel of empty pursuits and the bottomless pit of passions and desires and ambitions. You know, you think about it, that's revolutionary thinking, isn't it? Isn't that a whole lot different than the, you know, follow your heart, chase your dreams, just believe in yourself kind of stuff that the world feeds us? Jesus, you mean to tell me If I just hold on to this world loosely and cling to you, you'll give, you, you'll, I'll inherit the earth anyway, and, and more also in the next life? Jesus says, yeah. I mean, I, just, I, I, mean, I said that, didn't I? In chapter 5, verse 5, did I say that? Do we, do we need to go back? Okay, so hold on. Wait a minute. So if I chase the world, I'll never catch it. But if I chase after you, you'll give it to me anyway? That means you're you're really not keeping anything from me, huh, Jesus? Why do we always tend to think of God as a miser? Why do we do that? Why do we imagine him as always holding out on us and making us eke out an existence here until we die? because we're prone to believe lies and we love the world and we're just afraid to admit both. We're prone to believe lies the same way our first parents were. They believed the lie that God was holding out on them. They were tempted to believe there was something greater than what they already had, which was relationship with God. And that's what we're tempted to believe, that this world can actually offer us something greater than what we already have, which is perfect relationship with God because of Christ's perfect sacrifice for us, to secure that relationship for us. That's what we should value most. That's what Jesus is telling us here. And when we do, the eye is clear, the heart is set on the right things, we're serving the right master. And so, it is well with our souls when things come and go in this life. God's grip on us is more important to us than our grip on anything else. We just need to be sure to stay out of the clutches of the things that he chooses to bless us with. Don't let him get a grip on you. Can't serve two masters, just one. I'll share a funny story with you. Um, that a preacher told his congregation to illustrate this point, and now I'm telling you by way of Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones, who, who heard it, shared it with his congregation, I'm telling you now. There's a farmer and his wife, <clears throat> and uh, the farmer rushes in from the fields one day, all excited, uh, really geared up and eager to share some really good news with his wife, and he says, I- I've got wonderful news. One of the cows had twin calves. There's a red one and a white one. And she's like, that's wonderful. 
And he says, yeah, yeah, you know, the Lord really impressed it upon me that, that we should dedicate one to the Lord, you know, so we'll keep, we'll keep one, we'll, we'll sell both, we'll keep the proceeds from the one, and then the other one, we'll give the proceeds to the Lord's work. She's like, that sounds fantastic. Which one's the Lord's? And he goes, well, we'll sort that out later. Yeah, we'll, we'll raise them up together, and when the time comes, we'll, we'll do as I say. Several months later, he walks in from work one day, just looking worn out, haggard, just down in the dumps, stirred in his spirit, a little, little worried upset, unhappy. She says, what's bothering you, you know? He goes, I've got terrible news. The Lord's calf is dead. (laughs) And she said, but you haven't decided which one was the Lord's. He says, oh yeah, I decided a long time ago. It was the white one. The white one's dead. The Lord's calf has died. When times are hard, the first thing we economize and size down is our contribution to what we've said is the Lord's. It's the first thing to go. When, you know, whether it's actually money or it's service to the church or spending time in the Word or discipling your children or discipling someone else, the easiest thing to let go of when we're pressed for time or money is the thing we hoped to offer God. I wonder if that's indicative of where our treasure really is. What occupies our time? What is worth our money? What is it for you? What are you tempted to place too much value on? Let me think about it. Take it home with you. You know, I'm not asking you to put crosshairs on some of life's simple pleasures, all right? Don't, don't, don't bulldoze desire here, all right? Uh, don't, don't shoot down dreams and, 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 and a sense of accomplishment. Don't devalue simple joy. Don't scold your hobbies and interests. It's not what we're doing. But what is the thing that tends to get its talons in you? What is the thing that you can't just enjoy or appreciate, but that you, you kind of live for? What has the tendency to master you instead of you mastering it? Here's a way you might find it. What could be taken away from you that would change you? What's competing with Jesus for your highest affections? Talk about that this afternoon in your community groups. You know, tease that out a little bit. Work through that. You know, we get awfully mad. It, it, it stirs us up bad. I can't think of anything more painful uh, than, than knowing that we have faithfully served a master that's betrayed us. What master have you served before that betrayed you? What was that like? Here's something we all need to be reminded of. The only master worth serving, the one who has purchased us, he will never betray you. Can't do it. I want to camp out there for just a second. 
because I want to make sure we don't miss that. Don't we, don't we faithfully serve the things that we value most in life? Haven't we all found ourselves doing that with something or someone that wasn't Jesus? And hasn't that thing or someone let us down? Has it not? Hasn't it proven to us time and again it is not worth our allegiance, our obedience, our lives? Jesus is. He will not betray us. He only ever offers everything he promises. Ponder on that. And here's just a parting thought. Just maybe consider this like um, a little margin note of mine uh, that I'm sharing with you, just a thought that I had as I was considering these verses this week. Something I think the Lord sort of impressed upon me, made the note, don't, don't be angry with the moth. Don't curse the rust or the thief. They're pesky little results of the fall, but they're there by the design. They, 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 they remind us that home is where the heart is. Where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Our treasure is Jesus and life with him. So there's good news, in, even in Jesus' warning here. Good news that nothing can sever our bond to him and our eternal hope. No one can rob us of that. No one can diminish it. It will never wear out. It will never get old. We will never become bored of it. It will never disappoint. I should treasure that. Above all else, right? I can't think of anything more valuable. And so if that's true, if I am, if we are all children of God moving in his direction, it shouldn't be hard for us to hold on to things loosely while we're here. It's not that they don't matter at all, it's just that they don't do it for us anymore. They're not so precious as our Jesus. And so we know, we have the clarity of mind to know we would never trade. Let's pray. Father in heaven, our hearts belong to you. Help us all to live as though it's true. Let our lives be demonstrations of our allegiance to you. And God, work faith in us so we can trust in you more fully. I pray that you bless us as we go out today and gather in each other's homes to enjoy food and fellowship and fruitful discussion. And we pray, Lord, that you would receive it all as praise and adoration for your son and thanksgiving for all that you have blessed us with. In Jesus' name, amen.